square fielder. He's gone to the dogs. Hey, welcome everybody. This is Steve Fielder coming at you one more time on the Gone to the Dogs podcast. This is just a bunch of coon hunters around here talking dogs. That's all this podcast is. It isn't fancy. It isn't high tech. It isn't cutting edge. It isn't trendy. And it isn't the bomb. It's just a coon hunters podcast. And uh, I've got two Four real coon hunters, as the late Timothy Ball would say, these are ragged-legged coon hunters, meaning that they wore out several sets of Carhartt overalls and and hip boots uh, to get where they are. Uh, Maybe they have, maybe they haven't. I just made that up. But anyway, uh, I am really excited today, as I usually am when I get a mic in front of me, to bring a couple of guys here that I've known uh, got to know really both these guys just within the last year. And um, uh, it's been about that long, I guess, maybe a little longer for, for one of them. But anyway, I've got Keston Jesse from the state of Virginia. How you doing, Kess? Doing good, doing good. And from way down in Louisiana, uh, down where them uh, – Cotton balls, when they get rotten, then you can't pick much cotton down there. Mr. Billy Dwyer from Slidell, Louisiana. Billy's in the house. How you feeling, Bill? Oh, I'm feeling feeling good, Steve. Good to be back with you, bud. Yeah, you've been on the podcast before, and uh, we had a great time talking dogs. And, and that's all we're going to do tonight. We've kind of named this or titled this podcast pup training for dummies and of course if uh i i don't know which one is which but we got dumb dumber and dumbest here and i'm probably the <laughs> dumbest of them all but uh, we just want to talk some dogs tonight for the next hour or so talk about some young dogs talk about the ways uh that we go about uh, working a young dog, getting him from the age, uh, you know, where he's able to go to the woods and uh, try to bring him along toward that magical title that we call coon dog. And uh, very few make it to that uh, designation. Uh, there's a lot of dogs out there. There's a lot of coon hounds out there. There's very few what we in the, in the, uh, uh, fraternity or sorority, as it may be, of coon hunters called a coon dog. But before I get into that, and we, you know, really get into the the weeds, so to speak, with uh, our uh, our conversations tonight, Sean Pinkney has contacted me a couple of times and uh, uh, invited me down, and and also asked me if I would announce uh, a PKC event that they're having in Kingstree, South Carolina on February 10th and the 11th. So that's coming up pretty quick here. I think we've got about a week here from the time this podcast airs to get out and to, uh, to enter and participate. Now, one of the events is a uh, Pro Classic $800 entry fee, maximum 48 entries, 
there's a minimum of 32. If they don't get 32, and I don't know what the status is. I don't really know uh, uh, there, but uh, they were beginning to accept the uh, entries on January 18th. So that's behind us. But uh, the entry must have a minimum of 32, or the event, I should say, entries by February 6th. So if you want to look into this thing, it is an $800 entry fee. Their awards are, are pretty pretty spiffy here. Uh, $12,500 for first place. Uh, second place, $7,500. Third place, $5,000. And then the cast winners, nine of them, will get $900 each. So that's Sean Pinckney. Uh, his phone number is 843 843- Two zero zero eight four zero two. Now Sean is also, I believe they're holding. If I can get this thing to work, they are holding some other PKC events. They've got uh, Joy Thirty Twenty Pup Hunt uh, on Thursday, February 9th. They got uh, a Pup Derby and Open events those nights with a thousand dollars on the pups and five hundred on the big dogs. And uh, so that's pretty much a carbon copy all three nights, the 9th, 10th, and 11th. Kings Tree, South Carolina. I haven't been doing many event ads on the podcast. Sean's a good guy. He asked me to do that. So, Sean, there you go. All right. We want to talk about pups. The road to a coon dog starts with a pup. And a lot of guys will tell you they don't want anything to do with a darn pup. They want to buy a started dog. They like to finish one out, and there's nothing wrong with that. Uh, there's another school of hunters that say they like to start with that pup at weaning age and mold that pup the way that they want the pup to act and uh, and teach him or her the things that they want to teach. And so they don't, in other words, they don't want somebody else to mess it up before they get a chance at it. Uh, I'm kind of of the school that, you know, I always raise my own pups. I bought very, very few dogs over the years, mostly bred my own. And uh, so I'd be in that class of guys that likes to get them at a young age and bring them right on up. Uh, These guys may have a different view and we want to talk about that. And uh, so I, Just to kind of set a little background here for you to, uh, for the listeners to have a point of reference about where these guys are coming from uh, before we get into these discussions. I'm going to ask each of of, uh, the guys to kind of uh, express what, you know, what they're working with right now when they got the dog. Uh, and without going into a lot of detail about it, just a little background on what you're working with right now. Keston, you want to go first on that? Yeah, that's fine. I got uh, a 17-month-old puppy, and uh, he's pretty much doing his own thing. I've had him since he's three months old, come from Randy Smith, Long Pine Kennels. And then I got the Frogger female. She's... Uh, 
Go ahead. There's no problem. Oh, I thought, there, you, I, I, thought I, was getting getting a, I was getting a, a clicking sound there. Oh, I, I don't. We'll, we'll work on that. Well, she, okay. Go she's, ahead. Uh, what is she now? About five months old? Fancy. And yeah, uh, she's yeah. our frog and long pine Jillian, and she's she's coming she's coming along. Just two young dogs is what I got right now. I see. So you're wor- you're working with yeah. two, a seventeen month old and a five yeah. month old. Billy, what you got going on? <clears throat> um, I still got just Ruby. I had well, I got two right now as of now. Um, but Ruby, she's eighteen months old. Uh. Coming on pretty good. I've had her since a puppy, eight weeks old. I got her from from Michael Roseman over in Arkansas, and she's off a long long range wood. And um, now Jay Bradmire's got the her mama over there, so she's pretty good and doing really good right now. You know, okay. we can get into all that if you want to. Oh yeah, well we're we're gonna get deeper in, into it. Um, mm-hmm. Just as a point of reference. Uh, how many puppies, roughly, Billy, would you say that you've started over the years? You, you have just a ballpark figure. Um. Well, I was out of it for a good while, Steve, as you know. So, but way back, let's see, from when I started in '85, somewhere around between seven and ten, something like that. You know, because I mean, we didn't. We wasn't into just buying puppies here and there. We got a puppy and we started that thing and, and we got pretty lucky. Um, a lot of them made it. I mean, they did really good and we just didn't have to, we didn't go off and get puppies after puppies. We kept three or four old dogs at the house for a long time, you know. Uh, most of them was my dad's. The three night champions, uh, two of them was my dad's. Um, one was mine and, uh, I would lived in Mississippi at the time and I was getting some puppies here and there that didn't pan out. So, I mean, uh, maybe right closer to 10, probably. Yeah. I'd say. Okay. How about you, Cass? I got out of it for a while too. I ain't hunted near songs. Neither one of y'all I'd say, but, uh, I've started, I started two or three, but Clyde would be the first one I've started from scratch as in not having another dog to hunt him with. I started him. You know, completely by himself. Never had no other dogs to influence him, nothing like that. Whereas before when I was hunting, I started some young dogs, but I always had an old dog to start a young dog. Yeah. I'm with you there. Yep. Same thing here, mm-hmm. you know. Well, in my experience, I always started my pups with an older dog, although I had things that I did with them by themselves. Go ahead, Bill. Yeah, um... What you said about that Clyde starting him, honestly, as long as I've been hunting this, I feel like a rookie because this is the very, very first dog that I started by herself without an old dog. We've, for as long as I can remember, always took a puppy with an old dog. I mean, we did the same thing and it never, you know, it was easy because if they went, they went and they got taught out there. Um, So this is very first one I've ever tried. Ruby is the first one I've took by herself. I've only had her with, uh, Four times, five times with another dog way back, but most of it's been right by herself. And it's a it's a challenge. I'm gonna tell you right now, it's a challenge. It ain't easy. It's a long way around. Uh, but it's working out, you know. Well, you think that uh 
I guess the the way we look at coon dogs and starting coon dogs and the way the dogs are hunting now all seems to be different than the way it was when I came along. Uh, you know, back in my day, I'm 76 years old, so I'm old. I'm, I'm, uh, you know, my my years of tramping behind a hound, unless I lived to to be like Fred Moran or Wimp Aaron or one of those guys. You know, I'm I'm. Uh, I'm standing in the checkout line, as my buddy says, over West Virginia. <laughs> but, um, you know, that we didn't get too much of in a hurry about starting a pup until he was up past a year old. And, and a lot of times guys didn't get too worried about a pup until he was two uh, if he wasn't doing too much. You know, of course, we didn't have a lot of game. Uh, and we did play games with these dogs, like laying drags for them. And, and back in the day, you know, you talk about cage coons. Well, back in my day, heyday, I guess you'd call it, you know, we used what we call a lead coon. It, somebody would hand the club would have a coon in a cage and they'd have a permit for it and have a collar on it. And you would go and take a like a hog catcher, uh, like a, a pipe with a cable in it that you could put over the coon's head and kind of snare him and bring him up there and snap the lead or the chain or the rope that you were going to use to train with. And you'd take that coon then and put him in some kind of a holding or transportation cage and you'd take him out to the woods and you'd let the coon out on that rope and he'd actually lay a natural track, you know, and had a collar around him. And it was quite an art form to put a collar on a coon. David that was McKee, gonna be my question. <laughs> David McKee, <laughs> I guess we had a couple episodes back, talked about the boys at the club talking about how how to get to get a collar on a coon and how to move the coon from one cage to the other. And he said, well, you just take your coat or a, a dark cloth or something, put the openings to the cage, uh, you know, against each other, open the cage and then put a cover over the backside and the coon will go into the dark area. And then you can just close the gate and you've got him. Well, back in the day, this was quite a rodeo. You, they developed a way for, to get a collar on a coon. Can you imagine putting a dog collar on a raccoon? I mean, (laughs) well, the way that they did it is kind of like the vets use when they have to give a cat a shot. They've got a canvas bag or something, and they've got a little hole in there, and they put it over the cat, and they'll reach in there and and get a leg and bring it out, and they can give that shot a cat a shot without getting their eyes clawed out, you know. Uh, I know those little fur fur balls out there are precious to all you ladies that are listening. So they they don't hurt the kitty. That's just the way they 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 get the uh, get the needle into him where it can do some good. But anyway, on these coons, it was kind of the same process. They'd take a a burlap sack or a heavy canvas sack and they'd cut a little hole in it. And the coon would stick his head out that hole to try to get out but the hole was only big enough for him to just get his head barely out so they just put the collar around his neck and there he goes you know so mm-hmm. that those were the old days but that's a whole big long rabbit path 
to tell you that back in the day, you know, we played games with these dogs because we didn't have a lot of coons. Uh, seasons were short. And, uh, you know, we'd lay, lay trails for them so they could tree it. And there weren't ample supply of raccoons. So that caged coon was a valuable asset to the coon club. Now, I know laws and all these things have changed over the years and whether that's even legal nowadays, I don't know. Probably not. But anyway, that's the way we did it in the old days. Billy? You know, talking about that, Steve, in them old days, back when we started this thing, I had a couple little hides. We played with one or two dogs. But after we got that first dog going, I don't ever remember using any cage coons, hides, or anything. I mean, it went for years. We didn't do anything but take those dogs hunting. And that young dog usually followed that old dog. And we, um, you know, we just took it from there. Whatever we had to work with, we worked with out in the woods and uh, shot a coon out to it, you know, and then let the dog see it. She wanted out there and pad it up and do whatever we had to do. But up until, I swear, up until I got Ruby, I never, I couldn't remember to tell you last time I, fool with any kind of hide or drag or anything like that you know um now i had to with her and i go go ahead no no go finish your thought yeah i had to with her um because it was right by her so i didn't have nothing to take her with so uh i went on and trapped a couple of coons a couple of buddies of mine had some coons they trapped and i got hide here and there i'd fool with her a little bit well the first one i showed her at seven months old she barked at and i mean did good and i hunt you know i, I put a line over a tree and hung the trap up there she got under it and treated it and treated i didn't show her another one for a long time i figured when she did that well she's gonna do something at least she barked no other dog barking at it you know you'll see three or four dogs bark around in case she didn't name that she went on barked at it and treated on it right off the bat so i figured you know that's probably enough of that you know, for now. So I let it go a little while before I fooled with anything else, you know. Okay. Uh-huh. We go yeah. we t- titled this podcast Pup Training for Dummies. Okay. Mm-hmm. So I think we've got item number one that we can teach or we can pass on to the listeners out there that may be attempting to, to uh, train a puppy today. Okay. And see if you guys agree with me. The first item would be, if you do use any kind of a visual lure to pique this puppy's interest, do it very, very sparingly. Exactly. It's okay to use it to introduce the dog to the game animal that you want to to pursue i call it programming a pup i want my pups Mm -hmm. to know nothing but a coon now back in the day we had bear dogs and we hunted bear and coon with those dogs i don't have a pack of bear dogs anymore i can't keep a pack of bear dogs therefore when i go bear hunting i go with somebody else who has a pack of bear dogs my objective is to create a coon dog out of this puppy so the only thing i want him doing this is just my my position is i want him focused programmed if you will on raccoons and raccoons only so 
would you agree with me, Keston, that that would be a good point, number one, that we should uh, keep the keep the site work? Uh, and I could elaborate on this, but I don't want you guys to talk. I'll talk too much. What do you think? Yeah, I think that's true. And that's like with Clyde. Uh, you know, I got him, and I can't remember ever laying a drag for him at all. He's seen two cage coons, and the rest of it was just taking him places where I knew there's coons and walking him night after night after night. Then he got to where he'd run tracks, and but he wouldn't ever finish them. And I just kept taking him, kept taking him, kept taking him. And, I mean, he figured it out himself. I didn't really teach him nothing. I showed him two cage cones and let him go to the woods. That's all I did. And, I mean, if it's in him, it'll come out. What's say, Bill? I agree. I agree. Um, it felt like to me after I got a couple of – tried to lay a few drags, you know, even when I didn't hang the coon up and I just put the scent on the tree for Ruby. She'd follow it and she'd go to it and I'd watch her, but it caused her to jump a lot. She get that she wasn't barking at all yet, you know? So I kind of, I backed off of the drags and stuff for a while. Uh, I did just like you did. I just started taking her to the woods, just walking her. She knew what a coon was. I mean, I did a few things in between, you know, and, um, but I didn't do any more drags. I just started hunting her. I just started going, taking her to the woods. Uh, now I can tell you this: what I did do, she wasn't going. I mean, it was a long time before she would even leave me. She knew what a coon was. I'd get aggravated. I'd leave the club, you know, and my daughter would call me. How'd you do? I said ah. she just sat around that grass another night, you know. And it's frustrating now. So I was leaving the club, and I get down there where these bridges are in Mississippi, right by this marsh, and I mean. It was like a sign from God, I guess, but a coon darted right out in front of me and I rolled him. I didn't mean to. He just, it was like one of them things. So I stopped and he kicked around there for a minute. And I picked that dude up and put him in the back of my truck and I left and went to another spot. And I said, I'm a fool with her with this coon in these woods. When I put him in the back of my truck, this first time she ever did this now. I threw him back there and I started to pull off and she went to cutting up in the back of the truck. She could smell that thing. And I said, "Uh oh, something's switching here, you know? And I don't know. She was probably nine months, 10 months, somewhere in there. So I took her out there and, and she barked at that thing on the road and I drug it out there and I got her to tree and on it a little bit. And boy, I gave it to her and she got excited. And I would, that was the last time, last coon she saw for a while. So I'd take her and, uh, same thing. Take her out there to the woods. She'd walk around a little bit out there, chew some grass and go off. And I'm like you, Kess. I didn't have the coons. I got coons, but they not run across the roads here. This was over in a populated kind of area around the marsh. But where I hunt, there's coons just ain't running over top of each other, you know? Um, I mean, I can go on with, with where she went from there, Steve. If you want to, you got something else you want. Well, Kesson's got a point there, I think. Well, go I was just going to say, basically, I think the biggest thing is show them, you know, show them one cage coon, maybe two cage coons, show them what they're looking for, and then take them to where they can find right. what they're looking for. Sort of set it up to make it easy on them to start with. That's mm -hmm. that's all I did. And, you know, before, Clyde, when I, when I was hunting and started a few pups, it was sort of easy. Had an old dog turn them loose with it and hunt them together till they start split tree and then single it out. That's how I always done it before. But Clyde, he was just a learning experience. 
Well, I think you know our, what's go ahead, Bill. I'm sorry, Steve. You know what's hard, like you're talking about, whenever you don't have that many coons where you're hunting, you can do a lot of walking. And when they range out, if they can't get on one right away, they come back. You know, they're not going to go off hunting like an old dog would as a young dog just start. So, I mean, it's important to get them in coons. Um, but when you don't have a lot, it's a lot of footwork. You got to take them off and go a long ways. Now, I'll tell you one quick story real quick. What I did during this summertime, what set her up, well, I sent her to Arkansas, and she got exposed to some coons down there more than she did with me. But she's only gone about three weeks. Uh, Michael had her down there. Did good with her and all, but she just wasn't ready to go. <clears throat> so I took a buddy of mine called a trap coon. This was after a long time. I didn't show her any coons. And I brought it out to the woods, and I just turned the coon loose. I didn't show her the coon. So when I took her out of the back of the truck, he was gone a while. She started barking and cutting up. And man, I'm excited because I'm like, boy, it's the first time she's ever done this. So I walked about where I took the coon and turned it loose. And she left there and opened, opened on the coon and went down in there. And I knew it sounded like she located. I've never heard her locate before. And she located the tree. And I run through them briars. And I mean, I was scarred to pieces, but I got to her and she stayed there. And she had that coon. So this is a start. Now I knew she was on her way. But what I'm trying to get to is during the summer, it was so dry. It was dust bowl dry. There wasn't a drop of water to be found anywhere. And there's a pond that you have to cross or go by going into my hunting club. And every day I'd go by and look in that pond. You'd think something would come down there and get a drink. I never did see anything. But this one particular night, I seen eyes at the other side of this pond. So I turned her loose on the edge of that pond. And she went. And I guess she smelled it because she left. I'm like, okay, well, if she keeps going that way, she'll smell it. Well, she got down there and smelled that coon. And I said, out there where I hunt, these coons run. I said, boy, he's going to put her into a run here, I figure. Well, it wasn't very long at all, maybe five or ten minutes. She treed. I said, oh, she done. I don't know what she was doing. So I went to her. She was only about 175 yards. And she stayed there and treed on that thing, and she had that coon. <laughs> so that was actually the beginning of her starting to go. But if she took her time doing that, but it's all in her time, not mine, you know. Um, I'll tell you one thing real quick that, that leads up to that. And I was thinking about this today. I took her out there, and this is something for people to listen to, because I was a dummy. All right, you talking about this podcast, and for I'm going to tell you why I was. I took her out, and when I took her a bunch of times, and I was in an area I thought had plenty of coons. She would stand around, stand around, so I broke me a little switch. I didn't whip her hard or anything, beat her, but she'd come around me and I'd whip her. Boom, boom, boom. I'd pop on her butt. Get on, get on. She'd look at me and she'd go on. Well, I'll tell you what happened. Every time I'd load her up to go to these woods, she'd be happy. I'd get to the tailgate, let out, she'd come out. She, a few times she started getting wet. She was laying in that dog box. She didn't really want to come out. So, you know, I got thinking, I said, man, this ain't no fun for this dog anymore. She's going to come out here and want to go out in these woods and get a switch every time. She's not going to go. I mean, I'm, I'm not doing any good like this. So I went the next night and I took her out the box and I petted her up, petted her up, petted her, just put her off in the woods. And we went back to having fun. And eventually, it wasn't very long. She was at the tailgate, wait, at the box waiting. I wasn't out there in the woods petting on her, but I'd let her know it was okay. 
I'd pet her on her, I'd take her out, put her out. We'd go walking through the woods and let her do her thing. But what I'm, my whole point is, is that you can mess a puppy up as fast as you can help them if you're not careful. And I almost did that. So, um, hey, I learned my lesson. It's good thing she come out of it before it was too late on that part. But, you know, she did come out of it. But just a very good lesson learned, you know. Well, I think when we're young, and for some of us, that was a lot longer time ago than than others. You know, you think, you know, the old saying is, if it don't fit, get a bigger hammer. And, Hmm. you know, you just think you can beat it into them. And, you know, it's like a young hunter starts out, the first thing he wants to do is shoot everything in the woods. You know, he gets to use a gun, and it's fun to shoot. Well, it's the same thing with these dogs, with these pups. And I learned a long time ago when I would have a puppy that didn't want to go hunting. And I don't mean a little puppy. I I didn't consider it a dog until it was up six, eight months old, uh, old enough to, to really be out there looking for something. I know that the Internet's full of these five-month-old wonders, you know, but that was not the experience for me. But I found out a long time ago that as my mother, or, or the old saying was, and my mother had a lot of them, would you catch more flies with sugar than you do with vinegar? And, you know, I found out that to encourage that pup, slap it on the side, run my fingers up and down its ribs, you know, uh, rub its ears a little bit and and all, and just make him feel good about being out there with me did a whole lot better than just you know a corporal punishment so to speak. yes did yeah. you experience anything like that with clyde keston yeah i did and you know the thing about not hunting <clears throat> clyde he was like that he he started out he might go 50 yards then he 100 yards and then but after he treed two or three cones after i got shot at two or three cones to him it went from him going 400 yards, coming back to finding him a mile tree. I mean, he, he caught on pretty quick. And uh, I really yeah. ain't never had to whip on Clyde much. He, I, I, He's the type of dog, you can talk to him pretty rough and get him to do whatever you want him to do. He's pretty timid. Billy? You know, I think we talked about this, Steve. I had people... You know, I got a lot of good information, a lot of good suggestions from folks that, you know, that helped me along the way. But, I mean, if, you know, if it was up to some who don't know Ruby, she probably wouldn't be here today. Now, and I can get that because if you tell somebody what your pup's doing and all, it might sound like, well, that's not going to work. You need to get rid of that thing. She'll never make it. And I understand that because they don't know. But my point is, if you take and raise a puppy, all right, now I almost give up on it myself now. I'm not going to sit here and deny that. I mean, because I knew she had it in. I knew what she was going to do because I could see it. It's not something that I've had puppies before I had to get rid of. I know what it kind of looks like to, you know, one just ain't going to make it. I get that. But when I raised that dog and she... I could see the way she acted. I ain't never seen a smarter hound in my life. Now, I ain't bragging on my dog. I had a bunch of dumb dogs, you know, and I had some that was smart. But this little jit had it. 
and I knew it. It's just a connection you make with a dog that you say, I'm going to keep going with this thing because she makes it with them. I did wind up just keep taking her, taking her, taking her. And she does now. She Look, every time I go, I'm at the point where I'm almost expecting her to have a chicken. She goes. She goes hunting. And I've had to go a mile before to get her off the tree with coons. So I'm we at a point right now where we're having fun and she's at that point. But and her first coon was 14 months old. Now that's not that late. Like you said, some wouldn't even start that dog today with two years old way back. You know, I had to keep drilling that in my head. Or I might not have her myself. But I had the patience with that dog and she made it pay off. Uh but my whole point is that if you get a puppy, every single one of those puppies to me, every puppy is different. And you watch your puppy. You can't let somebody else tell you how that puppy's acting. If you feel like you believe in that dog, you stick with it because you might just be getting rid of something that you shouldn't have. Now, if you don't want the dog, at, if you have to have one at five, six, seven months old, run to his own coon, well, God bless you. I mean, I've learned that that's not possible. You know, I mean, I'm, I got a seven month old dog right now, puppy. She couldn't even, I took her one time with Ruby. She couldn't even keep up. She was yap, yap, yap behind her. She's seven months old and can run. She got a good body, but she's a puppy. She don't know anything out there, you know? Um, so if you got a puppy, to me, you be the judge. Don't let anyone else tell you to take that puppy and do this with it, that with it. You have to learn that puppy and do the things that that dog trying to tell you to do. If you understand what I'm saying, because I listen to Ruby. I mean, I, I watched her and I knew what she was. She had it in her to do what she do. Now, I was told to get rid of her. I was told she ain't going to make it. Well, I said, well, I don't, that's a good opinion, but that's not for me. I, I know I'm going to make this, something out of this dog. I can just see it, you know. So I stuck with her and it paid off. Well, that's a good point, Billy. And uh, I think that, that it comes down to us. It's our decision. It's our dog. When we make that commitment, to buy that puppy and bring it to our kennel. Uh, we have, have to be honest with ourselves that we've made a commitment. Uh, we owe it to that puppy to see that it gets every chance possible to make it. Okay. And, you know, unfortunately for some puppies are just, they're, they're disposable. You know, I get one. I don't like, I had a guy one time that bought a plot puppy from me years ago. I shipped it all the way to Texas. When I tried to pick him the best, biggest, boldest puppy in the litter, I thought that would really suit him. He got the puppy, didn't like the pup. And he confessed to me that he had had tried 30 pups and never found one to suit him. Now, I'm thinking that if this guy has been through that many puppies, uh, I'm thinking the problem's with him, not with the puppies. So, you know, and we, we've hammered this to death on podcast about being patient with these pups. And, and you know, this, this podcast tonight is not about uh, obedience training and, and teaching them to sit and stay and load and, and, and all of those things because those are necessary and they need to be taught and you need to spend time with your dogs. And a lot more people are bringing their puppies inside uh, to start them at first to, to uh, socialize them, be around kids, all great stuff, all good stuff. But 
this uh, this session is more about woods training of these pups once they're old enough to go to the woods. Okay, we've established that we shouldn't use too much visual, too many uh, uh, lures, drags, uh, uh, cage coons, anything like that. Show them once or twice. It should be a good place to start. Now, I think the reason I wanted to put you two guys together on this podcast is because I think your experiences are somewhat similar, but I'm sure there's going to be some differences. Both of you started out with pups and attempted to train them by themselves. Uh, old school for me was always taken with the older dog. I, I thought of this point the other uh, while ago when somebody was talking. We've got these pups nowadays. We want them to be so independent, you know, so we hunt them by themselves, hunt them by themselves. When I was younger, the idea is we didn't want a real independent pup. We wanted that pup to go with the older dog so it could learn something. You know, the most frustrating thing to be in southern West Virginia as a kid when I was young, where coon are extremely scarce, and it be coon season, and you've got a young dog on that needs to know what a coon is, he needs encouragement around the tree, and all this stuff, and your old dog trees a coon, and where is that pup? Nowhere to be found. Can't get him, don't know where he is. Back then, you didn't have a uh, uh tracking collar or GPS, any way to track that dog. It was the most frustrating thing in the world to have, as we would say, a bonehead pup that's out there trying to do his own thing when he don't, he doesn't know what to do. He doesn't really have the tools yet to do anything, really. He needs to be here where, the, where he can learn something. But the paradigm has switched now. You know, we want these dogs to learn on their own. And I'm not saying that's bad. I think the new, our way today is, is better really. Uh, and the breeders have helped us out a lot with that by breeding a more independent dog. Keston, just go over a little bit. Not you don't have to tell at night by night, but roughly how many nights did you take Clyde to the woods when he didn't do a darn thing? Quite a few, especially if you're talking about from the time I got him, because <clears throat> I'm going to say the longest Clyde has ever been in a dog kennel was probably when I went to Autumn Oaks, and that was, what, three nights? That's the longest he's ever been laid up. Every night I've mm -hmm. had him. From the time I got him to now, he's been in the woods. But <laughs> consecutive nights for him being up, he's never been in his kennel for three nights in a row. <laughs> and I'm going to say – there's never been a week that he hasn't been out at least four nights a week. Yeah. Well, but what I'm saying is, though, what I want you to, to, to share with the listeners is those nights that you went when there was zero return. Okay, well. Zero return. Uh, from the time he was three months old to he was 10 months old, he didn't do nothing. <laughs> I mean, nothing. He treated his first cone when he was 10 months old, and then – it when he first started treeing coons, he wasn't treeing them consistently. You know, he might tree one a week, but I'm gonna say I, I'd be afraid to say a lot. There's been a lot of nights I've been out there and he ain't done nothing. 
a whole lot. He's been a lot of nights that I've thought about getting rid of him, just to be honest with you. He, I, I like to think I got patience, but he still, he still aggravates me a lot. Just some things he does. Well, I guess the point I was making is not that he's still aggravating you or anything of the nature. The point I wanted to make is that you, when he was a puppy, you were out there and you walked with him uh, when, you know, he would just either walk along with you. Then I think if I recall correctly, the progression was he little by little, he started and, uh, you know, trailing things and, and not opening and, and even to the point of, of tree in a coon or two and, and not barking, just be sitting at the tree. Yeah. He, he, so it was a progression. Yeah. He, what I'm getting. he got to where he would run a track and just sit under the tree and not bark. And I'd go to him off a garment and he'd have a coon and I'd try my best to get him to bark up a tree and he would not tree. And, uh, Actually, I did use another dog for that. I had to make him jealous to get him tree. And I, he got in there sitting under them trees, and I took a dog and let it tree. Well, he actually treed the coon, and I took the other dog in there and let it tree on it, and I tied Clyde back, and I shot that coon out to that other dog and never let him touch it. And then it was the next night when he treed his first coon by himself. And uh, But, yeah, there was a lot of nights. Uh, I remember nights that, I'd walk around. There's a creek that I hunt on, and I could walk up and down that creek. And I actually seen a coon one night swim across the creek. And when that thing swam across that creek, I walked him straight up through her. He's probably five or six months old, and I'll never forget. I was so aggravated. He stood right there where that coon come out of that creek and just looked up at me like he – I mean, just looked straight up at me like he didn't know what was going on, you know. And I, it's aggravating. You just got to keep going. What's your experience, Billy? Well, I'm with you on that. Ruby was 13 months when she treated the, that one I let loose and 14 on her wild, on the wild coon. But I sent her to Arkansas. She was a year. And, um, you know, she went up there and the, when I brought her, I, I went with them and, um, we turned loose on top of those four or five coon running around a pond over there and she run behind them. And then stop, come around, come back. It, I left her. And uh, while she was there, she started opening on something out there running, but never was at a tree with another dog. Um, you know, I left her there about three weeks, I guess, a little more. And I went and got her. And when I got back, I went with a buddy of mine. And he had a jip. She treated a coon. And Ruby went in open on it. Well, she come back to me when his dog tree. So I caught her, walked her into that tree. We shot that coon out. I, I didn't give her a, any of it. Now, she's coon crazy, and she went absolutely blissful. I thought she was going to break the lead, but I still never gave her any of that coon. Um, It was probably a week later, I got that coon, my buddy, with that trap that I turned loose, and she run down there and struck and open and treated like it was nothing you know i mean but she wouldn't do that with that other dog and ever since then she's been doing it uh but it was 14 months old before she started you know that first one but she's always showed a little something here and there interest it just didn't click until she was right at 14 months old you know 
Go ahead. We touched on this just a little bit uh, earlier. The word came up a time or two. Jealousy or making them jealous. Uh, Jealousy is more and more a term that is used in coon hunting and guys that are trying to train coon dogs or describing the the uh, performance of coon dogs uh, a word a term that was kicked around for several years when i was involved with the registries was a dog would get hunt sour and especially pups uh, that were hauled to too many pup derbies too young. They got bored with it or they picked up too many bad habits. An older dog used to be in the boss dog tree in the coons, getting the first tree, goes to a night hunt. Guess what? Here's a dog over here that's treeing more coons than he is. Okay. And so, uh, he gets jealous of that dog and won't tree. And instead of going ahead and getting in there and treeing his own coon, he just says, man, I'm over this. I'm just going to get out here and sulk and pout and walk around and scratch the leaves. So, but we use the term jealousy a lot in talking about puppies in making them jealous of Actually, the term we're using should be envious. Jealousy is where we are are protective of what we already have. Envy is when we want something that somebody else has. So actually, they're envious of the other dog that gets to bark up the tree and gets petted by its handler when they've got to be tied back here or left in the dog box. How much does that play, has that played a part in the training of Ruby or Clyde? Uh, Billy, I you go first. I don't. I don't think um, it played much in the Rubies. The reason I say that is because she. I mean, she couldn't. She can't stand a coon. I mean, this thing is like I said. She's the worst I've ever seen as far as hating a coon. Now. Her not getting that coon when I shot it out, I don't think she had that dog on her mind. I think that she didn't get that coon. And if you have to get that coon to treat, well, evidently she figured that out because um, she went to treat it. And then she got a coon. And after that, she knew exactly how to get that coon. Now, I haven't given her a lot. Now, uh, she treated a couple and I let a couple go. And I pet her up real good because I don't want her to have every one. You know, I mean, she's doing it. So if she's doing it, I'm going to pet her and see where it goes. And so far, that's been fine. It hadn't set her back at all. Um, you know, I want to hunt her one day in the night hunts. I'll, you know, and if you can take a dog by herself in the night hunts, and I could do it right now. But she's got a ways to go. I got to get hunted up with other dogs. But she can go run a track trick right now as good as any. I have ever seen. I've seen it. So, um, but I'm not giving her all the coons I treat. I just think it's kind of useless, really. You know, she would take them all, I know, but I don't want to give her every coon. I want her to know that maybe I'll get one, maybe I won't. So tonight I'm going to go do it. And so far, it's actually worked out good. I haven't had any issues. She hasn't left any trees. She hasn't done any of that. So 
it's working out that way, you know. Keston, what do you say about that, the jealousy factor in training Clyde? I think just like he said, I don't – I think it pretty much has taught him, you know, if I want to get that out of that tree, I'm going to have to bark up that tree pretty much is what it taught him. And uh, the only thing I see that really different playing me and him is I shoot a lot of coons. Uh, I shoot a lot of coons. And, but the reason why I do it, I've noticed – I've sort of noticed of Clyde, and I know every dog's different. If I shoot coons out to him, he sort of – I don't know, it sort of calms him down. He sort of stays in pocket. If I go two or three coons and don't shoot him out to him, I mean, he really blows through her. I, he hunts hard. It seems like he's hunt, he's got more drive and he hunts harder when you don't shoot coons out. Maybe he's just wanting it more. But the more coons you shoot out to him, I don't know. It, it just seems like he don't blow through her as hard. And I sort of do that because I'm telling you, he'll leave here. I mean, he goes. and Billy? That's a good point. And I was thinking about this also the other day. I know someone who actually let their dog go 80 to 100 yards. And if they don't strike anything, they'll tone them back in. They don't let them go. That's not what you're saying. I understand. <laughs> but I've always been of the mindset that when I unsnap that dude, and I do it on the weekend, during the week a lot, I can expect it to go out of pocket. That's. Hey, I'm not going to stop it. Um, that dog's going to hunt how she wants to hunt. If she, and I've already seen a strike one under my feet, and I've seen her go 800 yards and so to strike one, and that's her job. She's gonna, I'm out there taking her, so I'm going to deal with whatever she decides to do. I don't want to hinder it. You know what I mean? I want her to hunt. And if, however she wants to do that, I'm going to let her do it. I'm not stopping it. You know? Um. And the other thing you said about shooting the coons, I noticed a couple of times when I get to that tree and I post a few videos, you'll see her when I'm standing there, she'll stop and she'll look at me. She's waiting for that coon to come out. I want her on that tree. And when I go to the tree, she's the first few she's treed. She didn't come back to me. She was standing on that tree. But the last few I went to, she comes back to meet me. Not far, but she goes right back. She knows when I get there, it's possible I'm going to shoot that coon. So I tie her right by the tree, pet her up real good, and I'll leave. And she gets excited. When we get away from the tree, I'll pet her, pet her, pet her. Let her know she did a good job. But I want her on that tree, whether I'm going to get her or not. And, but I don't want her looking at me, waiting for that coon to come out. I want her mind focused on tree. That's just my part of it. And I noticed that with her the last few times I went hunting. So I didn't give her a couple. And I just petted her up really good. She went crazy, you know, going nuts. And I'd walk her off. I wouldn't give it to her. But I'd let her know it was good. She did good, you know. Well, from my experience, you know, and of course I, I go back, uh, having done this sport uh, well over 60 years, um, you know, out of necessity, we could not give a dog a lot of coons when I was growing up. When we trained a dog, if if he was a dog that had to have a lot of coons, then he would have never made it uh, under our program because we simply didn't have them to give. And, you know, I can remember, and I've mentioned this on the podcast before, a dog I had named Bronco. He was really my favorite all-time dog. He was a plot dog. 
He uh, was six years old when I went to UKC to uh, to work, moved to Michigan. When The year that I made Bronco a night champion, I killed a coon to him on the last night of the coon season, which was in February. I hunted him in night hunts through that spring and summer and into the early, uh, late summer, and he never had his mouth on a raccoon. At that time, he was about three years old because I didn't start him on coon until he was about three years old. He was a bear dog. It, and uh, so anyway, and then we did, we treed uh, some uh, coons, and there was more than one up a tree. And I put one down to him, and I think it was right about the beginning of season in early October in West Virginia. So, you know, I became a prophet of this idea that a dog, if he's bred right, doesn't have to have raccoons. Other people will say, well, it depends on the dog, and I will tend to agree with them. Some dogs need coons. Other dogs don't need coons. Some dogs, you give them too many coons, it makes them crazy, makes them goofy, makes them want to go back to trees, you know, makes them want a slick tree. I saw a young female, and we were hunting in eastern Ohio. She, <laughs> We shot several coons that night, and she was just walking around through the woods looking up in the air waiting for a coon to fall out of a tree. You know, I mean, so it goes, you know, the full gamut of all that. But um, I don't think, I'm not a proponent of saying you've got to kill a lot of coons to a dog. Do you, we reward the dog? Yes. And when the hunting seasons are in, that's why we have a hunting season, to kill game. And it's fun. And we go to White River and we shoot coons. And I loved it much more when I got to skin that coon and sell its hide, not because I got rich by any stretch, but because there was a worth, a value to it, uh, besides just the fun of it. But killing a lot of coons to any young dog, to me, I think, is counterproductive, although there are some that seem to thrive on it. What do you think, Bill? I agree with you. For one, if I killed every coon that I freed, eventually where I hunt, I won't be striking any coon. I mean, I don't have them like that here. I mean, now when that game management opens up over here, it's like two months in February and a month in October. It's the only time we go. Now, I don't mind. But if I did do that, I'd have a hard time striking coon. They just ain't. They, they, we have coon, but it's not that plentiful. I couldn't do it. I mean, I would just be, what you say, uh, you know, chopping off my mouth to spite my face, I guess you'd say. Um, I, I wouldn't be able to go hunting. Yeah. I just wouldn't be able to do it. So, I mean, I'm not going to shoot every coon because that's my sport. Plus, I have nothing to do with the coon. I can't sell it. Nobody. I tried to even give the last couple away, and nobody would even take it. So, mm-hmm. I got a wasted coon. I mean, I, I, I just feel like if she don't need it, I'd rather not shoot it, mm-hmm. you know, as long as she's doing that job. And Kessie, real quick, back to your point, and I'm not saying what you were talking about, your dog blowing out of the country. That's not a bad way to do things at all. Actually, it could be a good thing, depending on where you hunt. If you can train your dog to do that and you do that, everybody's different. That's more power to you, buddy. I, I just feel like if when I cut mine loose, 
I want her to do what she's going to do. If it takes her that far to go get one, then go. And so far, she's been a good ways to strike, but I don't want to hinder her. You know, I just want, I don't want her to get every time she might think I got to get back. I just don't want to fool with. When she's turned loose, I want her to go where she wants to go, how far she wants to go. Sometimes it's close and sometimes it's not. Uh, that's up to her. I don't want to fool with her, but I'm not saying what you were doing was wrong. I think you could do that and that'd be fine. A lot of people do, you know? Yeah. So. And I'm, I might explain that sort of bad. What I meant by that is if you, like me, if I, if I don't shoot four or five coons out to him, when I say he blows out of the country, what I mean is he's real bad. To, he runs edges really good. And I know a lot of people like that, but he'll hit like a creek. And I mean, he's a straight line. I mean, he, he passes a lot of coons up. And if you go to shooting a lot of them out mm. to him, it sort of slows him down and, Instead of going in a straight line, he, he, he'll he sort of hunt the ground out that he's supposed to be on before he gets somewhere he ain't supposed to be. Because a lot of the stuff you can hunt, you got right. maybe 250, 300 acres I can hunt, and then you hit a subdivision. And I've been in a lot of yards trying to get him out of their yard tree. <laughs> I hear you. And look, that's a good point right there. Terrain has a whole lot to do where I hunt. It's hundreds and hundreds of acres. She can go two miles and never see a road. You can't so it's not bothering me too yeah. bad. Right. You're right. So you're right about that. I agree and with you. And you was talking about yeah. calling him back and stuff. I I very rarely call him back. But the only time I ever call him back is if he gets if he's not doing nothing and he gets in a neighborhood or in the middle of a hard top road or something like that, I'll get him back. I'll I'll holler and get him back. But let me tell you something. That tone button on that dog tree I have is the best invention since <laughs> yeah, life bread. You yeah. hear me? I have taught her that thing, and I've had to use it a couple of times, and she has learned it. And I have been one happy coon hunter, man, to see her. I'm just telling you, it's a good one. I don't mind calling her back on certain situations, for sure. Yeah. Well, okay. Uh, this, of course, uh, what I, the remarks I made are certainly not uh, – meant to disparage Keston's method of, of killing coons to his dog. Uh, he no. happens to hunt on a lot of private land uh, and has permission and has a lot of coons. And yep. uh, a lot of coons uh, unchecked and un, unharvested can lead to more problems sometimes than not having enough. And I That's think right. maybe uh, – I think you did run into a sick coon or two here of uh, late Keston. And, uh, but anyway, what, what I want to do here is we've been at it just a tick under an hour now. And in keeping with this thing about training, ba the basics for training a young dog, you know, we, you two guys prescribe to the method of putting the dog in the woods as often as possible and pretty much letting the genetics take over. I think yes, what we've had, you, would both of you agree with me on that? Yes, sir. Yeah. Okay. Here, here's the thing, you know, I think training coon dogs is kind of a, an overstatement, you know, we don't actually do a lot of training of a coon dog. Sometimes we correct problems 
and I guess that's the closest we get to be being trainers, uh, other than what obedience training we teach them when they're they're young. Uh, we do use. We've learned that that tone button is a very valuable tool, especially when you need to get a dog back when it's getting near a highway or getting onto a property where it shouldn't be. And it's a great invention, and God bless the man that created it. And I'm mm-hmm. definitely not in any way in favor of of doing away with the, these tools that we have available to us, because I have spent literally weeks looking for dogs in the mountains of Mm -hmm. West Virginia. So anyway, that being said, so both of you basically have prescribed this method as I see it. You correct me if I'm wrong. Get a well-bred puppy. Teach the puppy the basic things. Socialize that puppy. Take them. If you have children, kids are the best thing in the world for puppies. Get them used to everything around them. Take them out in the daytime. Let them learn that a butterfly is is something, and so is a box turtle, and so is it fun to cross a creek, and all of these things. And what I call let all the new stuff uh, go away before you get serious about directing that pup's attention to the one single thing that you want it to do for the rest of its life. And that's run and tree raccoons. So in a big old flamboyant way, that's saying, you know, socialize the puppy, then start taking it to the woods. And I think both of you now, Billy, you didn't start taking Ruby to the woods as early as Keston did with Clyde. I don't believe. How old was she when you first started taking her out by herself? Well, I started walking her, Steve, in the woods when she was three or four months old. I mean, but just that, walking her around, getting her used to getting her used to walking and jumping logs and doing the whole thing. I did that for I did that a lot, quite a few times. But that was usually it, daytime, or was that at night? Yes, yes, well, yeah, mm-hmm. that was daytime. Um, nighttime. <laughs> she was um she was probably eight months old, seven between seven and eight months old. I started taking her out at night, let her walk around, get used to my light and all out there. Okay, Keston, now with with Clyde, I believe you got him. It was in the fall of the year. I remember wintertime, and you were still you were just going for walks with him at, mostly at night, wasn't it? Yeah, I don't think Clyde's ever walked through the woods in the daytime. I really don't. I, I remember from the night, the the day I got him that week, uh, I'd take him out there and walk him around in the dark. Yeah. Well, mainly your job, though, you know, you have a lawn care business, landscaping and all that, and you're working during those daylight hours. Um, Billy, when your position, you're, you've got afternoons pretty much right. available, don't you? But, yep. uh, but anyway, so that, that, those fundamentals, then uh, you start taking them by themselves. You took them into areas where you knew there were coons and you had to apply a lot of patience with both these dogs because neither one of them started off just immediately like a house of fire, did they? Steve, you say patience. You said a mouthful. I would go out there, you hear me, and some, I look, I'm, for one, I'm no dog trainer. 
I am not a pup trainer. I mean, I, I know the basics and I can kind of get by for sure and train a dog. I don't train puppies. Like you said, you take them out and let them do their thing. But this is, well, my daughter, my daughter would call me when I'd leave where I was hunting and she'd always ask me every night, how'd Ruby do? How'd Ruby do? And I'd tell her nothing. She, you know, she walked around eight grass. I'm not even going back tomorrow night. I mean, this is frustrating now. And she goes, yeah, sure. Well, she knew me better than anybody, but I'd go back the next night. I'm a 30 mile trip. I don't walk across the street to go hunting. It's 30 miles, 25, 30 miles every time I go. So this is, I was doing every night. Um, but it is one frustrating deal. If you don't have some sort of patience at all, it is definitely not the thing to try to take a puppy and do it. And I, I brought out patience. I didn't think I had, I'll be honest with you, you know, but, um, it's, uh, not easy. It dang sure wasn't easy. I mean, I'm not going to lie and say, you know, oh, everything's all hunky-dory. And right now she's doing good, but I'm still working on things. But what I told my daughter was is she can't learn anything standing around me. There's nothing I can do. But once she starts going, running, and treeing, I'll be able to pick up on things that she's doing that I might be able to correct. You know, coming back to me from the tree or running trash, whatever. But as long as she's standing around, we are at a standstill. You know what I mean? That's just useless. So once she started going, then I could kick in some of the things I knew on how to handle situations she was putting herself in and myself. Does that make sense to you? Oh, yeah, absolutely. What do you think, Kessler? Yeah, it makes a lot of sense. And, I mean, you just talking about having a lot of patience to start a puppy. Clyde's 17 months old, and it still takes a lot of patience. He still does a lot of things. Exactly. I mean, it still ain't over. He still – I mean – He'll, nope. he'll go a week and you'll think, golly, he's doing good. And then he'll have two nights the next week. You're just like, what is he doing? I mean, it just drives you crazy. Mm. How you many, know, how, let me jump in here real quick. How many, perf, how many perfect dogs have each of you owned or seen or hunted with? <laughs> perfect. I don't believe one exists, does it? Uh, how many perfect coon hunters do you know? Dogs. You're talking to one besides right now. me. Dogs. No, besides <laughs> dogs are like people. There ain't nobody perfect, right? There ain't no dog perfect. That's, that's right. That's true. Go ahead, Billy. You had a thought. Um, let me get back to the thought now. I've got a brain fart. Um, <laughs> can he say that on my podcast? I I guess we'll let oh, that yeah. slide. <laughs> All right, well, he's gone again. See, he said a bad word, and he got yeah, the bird. There he went, folks. He'll be back in a minute. Yeah. <laughs> He'll be back in a minute. Well, Keston, we'll try to fill up the area here till Billy gets back. And uh, and I'll, let's talk just a little bit about this other pup you got. You got a pup, and you and I have that pup together, but uh, you're doing all the work with her, this, uh, this Davis Rosedale Frogger. And uh, Lone Pine Jillian pup, as you said, that we got from Randy Smith. And she's about five months old now, I guess. Uh, what's been her story? She She's doing real good. Uh, she's a good acting pup. Uh, I ain't never seen a five-month-old puppy leave the way she'll leave. I mean, she'll go hunting. She don't really know what she's doing, but she'll go. And uh, I've been taking her quite a bit with Clyde and uh, – the other night, well, it was actually last night, we had a cone cross the road and went through a field, and we turned her loose on it. And 
she went up through her and tracked it not real far, but 50 yards, and it crossed the creek, and she went and crossed the creek after it. Put her back in the box and went off. Yeah, well, she that's been her thing from the start. Now, she's been one uh, that just has never been afraid of the dark, has she? No, no, she's definitely not afraid. Of, I don't believe she's afraid of anything. Yeah. Oh, one of the things that we're kind of approaching with her right now and considering and thinking about what we ought to do and uh, in uh, in keeping with this pup training idea is that, you know, she will go off on her own, but then when she comes back and maybe checks in or whatever, she wants to track up the other dog, Clyde, and she'll, she'll go <laughs> probably as far as he can go to, to catch up with him and and she doesn't open on his track does she no it's more or less just to find him if he's a mile in there and she'll find him she'll be there with him yeah yeah well the idea there is is as we're thinking you know we don't want her to be a dog that just follows another dog around through the woods but it gets back to that thing about learning too you know she's probably going to learn more if she can stick with Clyde than she's certainly going to learn on her own so we're kind of like a catch-22 on that do we want her to to follow him and uh and uh and learn something or do we want her to be more independent and just ignore the other dog out there in the woods but uh Anyway, she's she's been a lot of fun, yeah. And, uh, and but we're we're certainly looking forward to the future with her, but we're not getting too excited about it. No, we? I I sort of feel like I'll end up doing her like I did Clyde. I'll pretty much start her by herself. The only reason I'm taking her out right now with Clyde is just to get her used to the dark, going through fences and stuff like that. When she gets a little older, hey, I'll 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 take her by herself. Well, Billy, you were talking about maybe uh, making a little switcheroo here. On I know you have another young dog that you uh, you got, and then you decided, well, maybe there was a different direction you wanted to take. And you told me you might be thinking about uh, uh, getting a male pup this time. Are you still thinking about that? Yes, sir, I am. Um, I don't know why, look. A lot of people say that, uh, you know, and I've always been a female guy. I really have. But I've got Ruby's. She's probably as hard-headed as any male I've ever owned. And look, she she's smart as I'll get out, and she's got great hair. But even today, I put a good handle on her in the yard. She'll smell something, and I'd have to kind of walk up to her and tell her, you hear me? And she would come on. She likes to try you, you know? So, and I mean, it's. I want to try to get a male because if she's going to come and heat, I'd have something to hunt. Um, but if I can find the right breed and female, I'll, I'll get one. It's, you know, it doesn't really matter to me, but I'd like to try a male. Um, the little pup I got now, we just not making a good connection. And before I start her, I'm just going to probably let her go back. So nothing wrong with it. She's a good dog and a good pup, but I, it's just, it's, I see some things that I don't want to really fool with in the future. So, uh, I'm sure. going to find something, you know, what? I'll get my hands on a male pup, but well, and look, this puppy, go ahead. Steve. Well, now what I was going to say, Bill is, uh, you know, that's a decision we all have to make. 
And, uh, right. you know, I'm not, I'm not going to sit here sanctimoniously behind this microphone and tell you that when you purchase a puppy, oh, it's till death do you part. You've got to stick with that oh, pup, come what may. You know. Sometimes you have to make the tough decisions on these dogs. We did that, my wife and I, with the dog that we had that we loved dearly, a young dog, but we determined that he was just too much dog for our environment. He needed a job that we could not give him, and we had to make the tough decision, and we adopted him out, and he's having a great time now with great people and all that. But what I'm saying, sometimes we have to make that decision you know, that this is just not a, this dog is just not a match for me. Thankfully, more and more right. hunters are looking for alternative ways to place these dogs. You know, one a dog that we had, Keston and I had together, wasn't working out for us. Turns out now she's with a squirrel hunter and they're tickled to death with her. So, you know, every dog has a job. It's the old saying back when I used to sell cars, every car's got a buyer. And, uh, so, you know, uh, you sometimes have to make those tough decisions. But I guess if we could leave one nugget with the listeners today uh, from this podcast is give them every chance you can. You know, right. put the time in. Don't leave them sit in the pen and expect the, the papers and the hype and the genetics behind them to do your job. And that means you've got to get up off the couch uh, some nights when you really don't want to. And you've got to get out there and let that puppy have the chance that it's that God gave it. Uh, But it's up to you to give it the opportunity to develop guys. You know, go ahead, Bill. Real quick. Kevin Cable was on a podcast with Tyler at at Coon Hunt University. And he said that he had sold and gave away a, lot of dogs that made it because they would aggravate him around the house and do things that he just couldn't, you know, deal with. And he knew that. And that's going to happen. If you get a pup, I mean, you, you get something that just you aggravates you to death and you just, you know, you don't have to, before you continue on and try to make something you're not into it, don't. I mean, I, I had an out with this puppy owner once and back, and she was probably going to make a really good dog. But I see things that's just not going to work with me. So she's going back. I'm not putting her down or nothing like that. She's going back to where she's going to be hunted and probably taught to make a good dog. It's just not the direction I want to go. That's the only sure. thing. And I guess that's my point. You know, I'm not, we're not here to, to ostracize anybody right. that has to no, make that right. decision with the dog, you know, because that is going to happen. Um, well, Kessler and I've been through it here this last year. Uh, uh, mm-hmm. Ella and I've been through it personally here at home and it's, it's going to happen, but Hey guys, I tell you what, we're going to wrap this thing up. We've been at it an hour and 15 minutes now. Uh, you know, it, is there a point that we need to make with the listeners out there that are attempting to train a coonhound pup. We get a lot of young listeners, and I get the emails and text and, and messenger messages and all all that all the time from people saying uh, they kind of come in two 
categories. One is I'm new to the sport. I'm learning. I really appreciate the podcast because it's helping me. Then we've got those that say, you know, I used to do it. Then I had a family come along. The kids took me to ball games and everything else, and I had to get away from it. Now I'm back. I want to get back in. And and you're really helping to create a fire uh, under me again that I used to have for the sport. So that's that's all, the only the reason we're doing this is to right. to try to encourage our fellow hunters uh, and all and to save if we can a lot of good young dogs that will make somebody happy if they're just given a chance. What do you guys got to add to that? I'd like to say, if you don't mind, Keston, to every young hunter out there, Steve, I say, do not be scared to try it. Because, listen, I've heard big-time hunters say, do not start with a pup. And I've heard well, big-time hunters Well, we lost Billy say, again. I see that. <laughs> If I That's can give any advice, owner, I guess it's But let me tell you stay in the woods that it stay is a Facebook. rewarding process. There ain't, and that you, you don't will take that pup and grow and have a bond with that thing that is. Well, that's well spoken <laughs> for know, sure. Nothing you can explain. I shake my head so many times. There's a little, I don't know what, a little acronym or whatever with all this texting that we do. SMH means i'm shaking my head i do that all the time it's stuff that i read billy you were gonna say something and then you went away i i don't know where you went I know this, i'm sorry this connection's terrible over here steve but what i was saying is um don't be scared to try the pup you'll learn a lot from that puppy and you will grow with that thing and have a bond like no other now if it don't make it you'll learn a lot for the next pup just don't be scared as a young hunter Try a pup and take that thing and do what you can to try to make it a coon dog. A lot of older hunters, they don't do that. I understand that. Look, if I had one that I really trusted and I could get it six, seven, eight months old and take it to the woods straight off, that'd be okay by me. I like to fool with puppies. See, me and, I mean, Ruby got this connection. I wouldn't get rid of that thing for nothing. Right now, she's, you know, she looks to me. So it's kind of like my child. And so far, she's making me happy. Um, that's raising her from a puppy. So mm-hmm. just don't be scared. Don't be scared to try a puppy. I mean, we talk about how intense it is and frustrating. You're going to go through that. But the reward is 10 times more. That's all I can say. Well, I think that uh, pretty well says it in a nutshell, you know. And and listeners, you know, a lot of these guys that are winning big in the, in the night hunts are buying these dogs after somebody else has done all of the things that we're talking to you tonight about. So don't right. don't be discouraged. Uh, if you have questions, contact us. Listen, I am available on Facebook, Instagram. Uh, you can get me at Stephen, S-T-E-P-H-E-N dot F dot Fielder. And I'll be more than happy to... Uh, reply to your question if i don't know the answer i've got a pretty good network out there of hunters that that have answers and uh, we'll do all that we can to help you guys i want to really uh tell you how much i appreciate you coming on with me today uh in this uh this uh, segment that we've called uh 
Pup Training for Dummies. I know when I titled this section, I said, boy, those guys are going to think that uh, that I'm calling them <laughs> dumb. And, and you're certainly uh, anything but that. And I don't mean <laughs> for you listeners out there to to uh, misconstrue that I think you're a bunch of dummies either. That's just a play, of course, on the popular series of books for learning how to do just about anything. But it's been a great visit with you tonight, and uh, we want to thank you all. We want to thank especially W Hunting Supply, Buddy Woodbury, Jason Doobie, all the folks out at dusupply.com who make this podcast possible. And uh, we want to thank them. And uh, like I say every time before I sign off, if you're looking for me, well, the first place to look is out there in the woods somewhere because I've probably gone to the dogs. Thank you.